There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Motorsport Season Review Awards in association with Pocker 1.8 Model Kits. Hello and welcome to part two of the Motorsport F1 Season Review podcast. I'm Damien Smith, your host, and I'm joined once again, as we were in part one, by Mark Hughes, Grand Prix editor of Motorsport magazine, and racing driver and broadcaster, Alex Brundle. Mark, Alex, welcome back. Nice to see you again. Um, We're going to crack on into the second part by picking up on the Motorsport Awards. It's that award season time. Motorsport Awards sponsored by POCA. Now, the... um, this is something that you you want to get onto online and vote for, but the deadline closes on December the twentieth, which isn't far away. So we're going to be talking about some of these review, um, awards now, and uh, I'd urge you once you've finished listening to us wittering on that you go onto the website and uh, post your vote. So let's start first with driver of the year. Um, so Motorsport have nominated four drivers for this one: um, Max Verstappen, Lando Norris, Alex Alban, and. Fernando Alonso. Now, in part one of our podcast, if you listen to that, we talked quite a lot, a lot about Verstappen, Norris, and Alonso. Mark, we didn't speak so much about Alex Alban, who um, I thought did wonders in that Williams this year. And obviously, his reputation after the the, the Red Bull years that he had and the, the struggles he had has has soared uh, in this this era with Williams. What did you make of Alex Alban this year? I thought he's terrific. Yeah, um, he's he's growing uh, as a driver and. He's now got the team sort of around him, and he, he, he's he, he's got the qualities of a leader. He's got someone that, that has made the team his own, and he's just very, very good at grabbing the opportunities when when they come up. He's uh, he can do a qualifying lap, uh, even even on a, in a car which is a little bit light on downforce, but you you mask the worst effects of that with a new set of tires, and so he's quite often sort of transcended the car's natural place on the grid which then gives him this uh, long long afternoon of defensive drive and he's he's absolutely perfect in those the way he pulled those points um, out of the car and Montreal uh, in particular I thought was incredible and it um it led the new team principal James Valves to say he's seen a, a few drives of his this year that um absolutely are the the drives of a world champion and I, I concur I think he's um he's Operating at a very high level now. Alex, you know, he he went through such a hard time at Red Bull. He had a year out of Formula One. It looked like it was all over for him. He was racing in the DTM. Um, you know, coming back from that kind of situation, not many people do come back from that, get a second chance, and then take it. I mean, what did you think of him this year? I thought he was. I concur completely. I thought he was brilliant. He's got a very acute understanding of where his car stands but it's kind of multi-dimensional. He, he understands where it stands amidst the full grid. And I think that's led into some of the sort of what we might call a bit of a Hail Mary strategy play mm. that, that they throw the car up the field and, and then he's able to, to defend. You know, 
he understands when that moment is that he needs to be able to strike. And I think an understanding, particularly if you're going to go and drive a car like that Williams, which was generally, not always, but generally the, the quicker car in the speed trap and then, and then uh, having a bit more of a, a struggle in the high-speed corner. If you're going to go and drive a car like that, Williams, which is sort of slightly left field in terms of its group of um, assets and liabilities, if you like, in comparison to the rest of the field, you've got to be able to understand where you can use those assets in the car to be able to achieve the result. And I think he's very much a thinking driver. He's a deep thinker, which is why I think, Sometimes Red Bull didn't suit him that much because it would be very easy in that scenario to think much too hard about things. Um, but I think him being a deep thinker has led to him being an asset for Williams in their sort of slightly do different approach to to car design and, and, and development. Now, I'm going to put you both on the spot here slightly. Um, Motorsports Driver of the Year nominations on the, on the website, Verstappen, Norris, Albon or Alonso. Um, which ones would you go for? One of those four or someone else? Um, let's start with uh, with you, Alex. As we're, we're talking to you now. What what would you? Who would you? Who would you say was your driver of the year? My, I mean, Verstappen's the Verstappen's the easy choice. So I think we'll avoid that for with the with the acknowledgement that it was a year of incredible performance from him. Um, to try to pick an incisive. Uh, a, a, an interesting choice. Uh, Alonso is the clear standout amongst the other three uh, for me in terms of a pure driving performance of him set against what he had underneath him. For me, Alonso stands out. Uh, then after that, I think uh, Norris, then Albon. Um, again, amongst the rest of the field, um, outstanding performances, but within those three that are non-champion Drivers of the year, I would pick Alonso as my standout in terms of a pure driving performance. Okay, and Mark, I know how much you love these binary choices of uh, rating people. <laughs> uh, uh, who who would you go for if you if you if I put a gun to your head, who would it be? It'd be churlish to go for anybody other than Verstappen because he did reach new levels of performance, he, even though he was in yes, he was in the fastest car, but there were um, there were some races where he took that and stretched that advantage um, outrageously. And I'm thinking of Spa and Suzuka and places like that. And there were also races where it wasn't that easy to stick it on pole and, and win the race because it, it, it had traits. It was a little bit reluctant to get the front tire temperature, for example. And if you, there were races where if you didn't get pole and you didn't lead in the first corner, you probably weren't going to win it. And he's still, on those tracks, he still managed to do that. And um, I think, you know, he, yeah, he wasn't often, you didn't often see him have to give everything of himself. But when you did, um, like in Sector 3 in Monaco qualifying when Fernando had done that great time, for example, it was all there. And I, I, yeah, I think um, this was a great driver able to um, really get everything out of himself because he had a car that enabled him to do that. And he was instrumental in um, helping develop that car into what it was. So I, yeah, like I say, it would, um, it would be trailish for it to be anybody other than Verstappen for me. Now, as we move on to uh, team of the year, um, it occurred to me that um, you've witnessed 
form, Mark, you've witnessed Formula One domination through different different eras. So we, you know the Schumacher Ferrari era, uh, Red Bull again with with Vettel and those those four consecutive titles that he took, and then the, the Mercedes era. Um, and I think one of the things I've always taken from these these times is there's a sense that uh, you know there's a privilege to seeing great sportsmen at the top of their game, great teams working. Um, uh, at their at their height, um, and there's actually pleasure to be taken from that. Would you agree with that? And what is what do you think? How do you think this this era compares to the, some of those others in terms of um, what we're seeing at the moment? I do agree with that. I do. It, it, it's it's um, it, it's quite a it's quite a privilege to be watching history being made, and um, it, it definitely felt that during the the Schumacher eras, the the Mercedes eras, the the, the two now Red Bull eras. And um, yeah, how it compares, it's very different. It, the sport's very different. Um, we've seen it happen during the tire war year. We've seen it happen during the Bridgestone control tire era. Um, we've seen it happen with it in the Pirelli era. And they, 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 they all make and the, the different regulations all place different sets of demands and make um, the critical path to the end outcome different. And so, yeah, it's never just it's never the same story. Um, the the outcomes might look might look similar, but uh, the, the stories are quite different. So yeah, that, that's the the fascination for me. Alex, um, now on this subject of team of the year, um, motorsports have put down four suggestions: Red Bull, obviously, McLaren, Aston Martin, and Williams as an interesting choice. Um, so we've talked a little bit about Alex, Alex Albon. Um, which of those four teams, or another team? Would you would you pick out as your your team of the year in terms of uh, what they've managed to achieve this year? Again, it's uh, as as Mark kind of correctly says about about the the, the driver of the year. Not select uh, it's it's a game of points, isn't it? And not selecting the the dominant victors is uh, always going to be a slightly outlandish choice. Um, with that acknowledged, um, and I and I do like the forum of a podcast because you can rather than the written word you can kind of make that clear rather than having it blasted as a headline uh across the alex brundle says uh, across the top <laughs> so with 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 that acknowledged um I, I think what mclaren have done this year is is rather outstanding actually uh, in terms of where they began yes okay it's a bit of a set piece you know it, it's a bit of a um kind of uh Pre 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 staged um, appreciation of performance, isn't it? Because they started the year um, knowing that they had the option to to improve the car, uh, knowing that there was a there was a second line of inquiry uh, to go down, and then they just had to convert that. But even still, you know, in terms of where they were at the beginning of the year um, versus where they are at the end of the year, they're they're a clear standout performer. For me, so I would choose them. What is impressive about Red Bull is I would call it I would call it um, claustrophobic dominance, really, in that they were continually ahead, but often it wasn't by much, um, uh, particularly in in qualifying, um, particularly in certain races. So that was impressive. But I do think you know to take a a full view of the of the season, I would pick out McLaren as a as an interesting choice. Yeah, that's an interesting one. I think there's, a, there's definitely a case to be made for for McLaren. I think uh, one team that there's a case not to be made for. I'd be amazed if anyone votes them is is Alpine, which finished um, sixth 
in a constructor's title, a distant sixth. Um, Williams was seventh, nowhere near them. So they had this sort of like little oasis of of sixthness in the in the in the championship this year. Mark, um, can we just touch on an Alpine because they're, they're not they're not the team of the year, patently. But um, what on earth went wrong there this year? Yeah, a lot of strife going on there at a managerial level, and I think it was just a, basically a mismatch between what sort of um, a, a corporate level had been been promised by the the, the the you know the race team and what was delivered and um so look at the mayor felt that uh, he had to wield the axe and uh, he did and there were lots of casualties um looking at the yeah there they had a few chaotic weekends operationally but looking at the car itself it's about a second off the pace of red bull um they feel that half a second of that is the power unit and half a second was the the chassis. The chassis was a little bit light on traction, had poor ride. They couldn't run it as low as they'd hoped. The power unit is, yeah, it's it's the, the fourth fastest of the four power units and they'd asked for a holiday from the engine freeze, but but from the FIA, but were, were, were turned down. So, um, you know, add those two things together and there's your second deficit. It doesn't take very much. Um, yeah. It, I think it's just that mismatch of ambition and reality, which um, ended up being very, very damaging and left a lot of blood on the walls. And uh, yeah, you gotta, you really um, hope that they can sort of just do a reset and, and rebuild from there. Um, given that uh, the car itself it was a disaster, but it, you know, it's not not what they aspire to be as a factory team. Yeah, and they seem to be uh, uh, the ownership structure there, and the, the the board don't seem to be very patient. So they feel you feel like they're running running on a clock at that team. Um, Alex, in terms of the drivers um, at Alpine, um, it's they're an interesting pairing. Obviously, they've got some history between them. They're not exactly best best buds. Um, what did you make of Pierre Gasly and Esteban Ocon this year? They've they got to get those two kind of pushing in the same direction, haven't they? Um, they seem to be endlessly chirping away on the radio. When you hear that on the radio, you know, I can't believe you let the other car undercut me. Uh, how have we operated this strategy? Why is he doing that? Again, this guy, blah, blah, blah. Um, you always know that you can turn the volume up to about 10 as, if, if that volume is one as soon as they get back to the bus and and start chatting away with each other. Now, it's not imperative that racing drivers in the same team are best mates. You know, we've seen uh, racing teams function perfectly successfully with two drivers operating at arm's length. Um, And actually, sometimes, you know, two drivers being too friendly with each other across the garage can be detrimental, um, especially if they start to kind of uh, complete uh, a rear guard action against the ownership structure but i think those two are at a position where it must be detrimental to the development of the car um which could well be a factor add in a little bit of a straight line speed deficit to uh which is one of the most frustrating things to race with and you've got a pair of angry racing drivers who don't really like each other um it's a bit of a it's a bit of a problem soup isn't it and uh, they've got to sort that out through next year yeah i do worry for alpine um let's see where they go next um let's move on to um 
race of the year. Uh, Motorsports Awards, as I say, is uh, the the deadline's coming up, December the 20th. So get online and post your votes. Um, sponsored by uh, Poco Models. Um, it's um, uh, an, an annual debate about uh, driver of the year, team of the year, race of the year. Now, Mark, um, I wonder what's your your, your favourite race of the year that you, you enjoyed so much when you were getting into analysing what you'd seen and, and getting into the, the, the detail. Um, the, the races that um, Motorsport had picked out um, were Zandvoort, Monza, Singapore, Las Vegas, first Las Vegas Grand Prix, obviously a, a big landmark. But for you... Um, which one did you take most pleasure from? I did enjoy all those, actually. Um, but uh, I think if I had to nominate one, it would be Vegas because, uh, you know, there was such an unusual um, Monza-type speeds in between walls. We say they've got that bit of Jeddah as well, but that was quite spectacular. Um, but also just the way that it worked out with the, I don't know what it was, with the track surface and the combination of that and the temperatures, Everyone was able to go flat out pretty much, and you, you, we, we did get a proper race, and uh, the outcome was in doubt for quite a while. And I th- yeah, for me, it was that it was spectacular, but it was um, so it was successful as a as a you know a, an event as a, a you know sort of big sort of occasion, but it was I, surprisingly I thought it was su- successful also as a sport as a sporting event, and I think that. Um, it showed it showed F one to uh, to advantage there. Yeah, Alex, let's talk talk about Vegas a little bit more because what a bizarre weekend uh, from start to finish, really, with the, you know, a terrible start with the drain cover coming loose and spectators having to be evicted from grandstands, team bosses getting cross about the reaction and uh, lots of bad tempers. Verstappen seeming to have nothing good to say about the place until he'd won the race itself. Um, and then it, it all turned around with that that terrific Grand Prix. Um, what, what did you make of it? Uh, there are a couple of factors early on in the weekend. I think a lot of the negative comments about it. Firstly, I think they were very lucky that that sort of uh, manhole cover or, or or a water cover incident has happened at other circuits before. Um, because if that was the first time that ever, which it isn't by a long shot, if that was the first time that had ever happened at a Formula One Grand Prix, they may well have closed the event down there and then. Um, I think, though, a lot of the negative comments around that were burnout more than anything from the length of the season. I mean, you look at the attitude of the individuals, you look at the way that um, team uh, representatives press conference played out the comments from Toto, the comments from Fred Vassaud, obviously just lost a car uh, in free practice. And then the comments from Max Verstappen, there are a lot of tired, very, very tired individuals by the time we got um, to the beginning of that weekend. It needed to be a wildly good Grand Prix. And in terms of spectacle, you know, in terms of, an action spectacle for somebody who's watching Formula One in the same way as I watch boxing, where I would turn it on and I don't know who's who or or, or necessarily beyond the, the really big names. It was clearly the best of the year for me. Mm. Um, you know, to watch a race, to watch a race without requiring depth of insight in terms of pure action, Vegas was fantastic. Um, so Annette, they they grabbed a great victory from the jaws of defeat there, um, and I think uh, a different uh, in a different calendar 
it would have been an even bigger victory with key personnel feeling better about arriving there, having not been quite so uh, quite so heavily uh, heavily involved in the sport for so many weekends on the trot. Yeah. Alex's point there, Mark, about um, how tired everyone was and the fatigue that was kicking in at that time of year. You've been on the, the Grand Prix trail now for more than 20 years. Um, uh, it's, it's, t- it's a tough old life for everyone who works in the sport. This year, 22 races should have been 23 if Imola had happened. Obviously, that was that was cancelled um, because of um, the, the weather that, that hit the region um, at that time of year. Um, next year, 24 races. Um, are we at saturation point, do you think? Oh, for sure. We were right. We're straddling that line. And um, yeah, that, that really, you know, teams are talking about um, having different crews to do it. And that, yeah, I mean, that's, that's probably how it's going to have to be done. But um, yeah, squeezing more in, you know, doing five Grand Prix and six weekends as we did um, back end of the season. It, it you know, it, nobody's functioning very well. No. Whether it be in the paddock, in the car, in the, you know, in in the media set, <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's just too much. It is. Too I, much. I do wonder as well. They they all seem to blend into each other after a while because this is coming at you incessantly every weekend. Um, is, is there a fear, Mark, that um, the value of a Grand Prix is being is is becoming less because of the the number of races? Do you think that's a problem? Yeah, I, th- I think it's um, certainly a danger in terms of the. Uh, the, the, the perception from the outside, you know, from the inside, it's um, from a business perspective, it's very easy to say, well, let's, let's squeeze more and more in and let's make more and more money. Um, but there is, a, there does come a point where you, you will begin to damage the brand. And then that does long term, that does have an impact financially. So I think, yeah, I think they need to tread quite carefully. And Alex, one of the things that, um, this- Look at this from a positive perspective. We're not losing the traditional venues here with these new races, like such as Vegas and and Jeddah in the last couple of years. Um, they, uh, we've got a good mix of these new, modern, fast street circuits, and then the, the traditional venues. Um, do you, do you like that? The fact that we we're, we're keeping um, keeping the Monzas, the Silverstones, the Suzukas. I think you can't lose those those key venues. They're a core of the sport. It's great to go there. It's great to. Uh, and also, you know, from a driver's perspective, it's nice for the rookie drivers and the drivers who who are coming from other series to have at least a few circuits they might know <laughs> on the Formula One calendar because there is so many F1 specific or F1 calendar specific venues now that it's it it almost ends up being very disconnected um, from the rest of motorsport if you're not careful. The other thing I would point out, you know, and if you take it away from if you're less sort of supplier focused and more customer focused for a second, I agree with everything that, that Mark said about the the stress on people who are delivering these events. We're not seeing badly attended Formula One races, are we? No. You know, it, it, it's not like, well, there was one last week and nobody's bothered coming to this one because it's in a similar region and they've traveled the, you know, the viewer numbers are are great. Formula One's as big as it's ever been. Uh, people are watching these races uh, and people are going to them. So to say from a from a viewer's perspective, I understand from a supplier's perspective, and there's a limit on what can feasibly be done. Uh, but the reason why more races are being added is because they're saleable races. 
uh, and people will watch them and, and people will go. Now, Alex, you also commentate on Formula 2 and Formula 3, and you were mentioning there about young drivers at least having some circuits that are familiar to them. I mean, it's never been uh, easy or taken for granted coming into Formula 1. Everything always has uh, come at you much faster in every in every sense. Um, what do you think it's like for, for young drivers, such as Logan Sargent, for example, coming in this year, um, facing what he's had to face? It's... Uh, and I said this when drivers were jumping out of Formula One cars in FP1 back into their Formula Two cars in Abu Dhabi. There are a decent number of them. And it's it's so close in terms of its proximity in, in the viewer's perception out of a Formula Two car into a Formula One car. It's on the same track. They look so similar as as racing machines because they're intended to. I think that is the biggest jump that a, a racing car driver ever makes since they stopped karting and jumped in a car. The difference in total downforce, the difference in power, the difference in complexity of systems between uh, a Formula One car and a Formula Two car, mainly for cost reasons, uh, uh, is, is absolutely vast. Add to that the, well, the, the multiple uh, different... Well, you look. You've got fourteen races, so there are going to be there are going to be at least ten circuits you've never seen unless you've gone and raced somewhere else. Um, so yeah, it's it's a it's a huge ask alongside everything that goes on with the media, media obligations, triple quadruple um, as soon as you're you're in an F one car. So yeah, that is a that's a vast challenge and anything we can do to to give those drivers the opportunity to perform straight away. And equally, you know, we've seen so many Formula 2 drivers uh, over the last couple of years. Felipe Drogovic, Oscar Piastri had to wait a year. Looks like Teo Porcher is going to have to wait a year as well. We need to do things to give Formula 1 teams confidence that these young drivers are going to be able to do it. And having similar venues and similar cars uh, and similar processes are, are, are those things, in my view. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Now, of course, there's one thing coming in at the start of a season. Mark, let's just talk about um, uh, Logan, um, sorry, uh, Liam Lawson at Alpha Tori coming in um, to, to step in for the injured Daniel Ricciardo, who himself had come in to replace Nick DeVries mid-season because Nick had, um, you know, had performed lower than expectations. Um, what what did you make of Lawson first of all in terms of uh, the job that he did stepping in when uh, as he did after after Zandvoort? I thought he's terrific. Um, you know, thrown in at the real 
deep end at, at Zandvoort in a wet track. Um, just I don't think that that just just staying on the track and finishing the race uh, was uh, impressive, given that he'd not been in the car at all. Um, but then he started, you know, he, the next few races he started really showing well and uh, really put, delivering some impressive performances. Um, to the extent that he had a sort of start-to-finish scrap with Yuki Sonoda throughout the Japanese Grand Prix and um, came out ahead at the end. And, yeah, I think uh, he's he's definitely done enough to uh, warrant a, a place of, okay, there's no, there's no slot from immediately, but I would be um, surprised if it hasn't been enough to, to get him on the grid at some point and then next year and uh, maybe for a, a full season the year after. And Mark, sticking with you, what's um, what's your verdict on Ricardo? I mean, everyone was very pleased to see him back. Mm-hmm. He's, a, he's a great character and very popular popular guy. Um, did he do as much as you would have liked to see from him? Or no, I'd like to have seen a bit more, but obviously he was curtailed a little bit by his injury. Um, he wasn't conclusively faster than Yuki Sonoda, and I think the expectation would be if you're going to go into the Red Bull um, alongside Max Verstappen, uh, he would want him to be somewhere the level that he had been when he was last at Red Bull, uh, when he wasn't that far away from Max. So, um, you know, I think we need to see a little bit more, but he certainly looks on a good trajectory and he looks like he's coming out of the the the, the bottom of the curve that he did got into um, at McLaren. And, uh, you know, the feedback from inside at the time when, when he first came back on, on, the, on the simulator was that he was, you know, he was miles away. He was nothing like what he'd he left. He came back as a completely different driver to the one who left. Yeah. Um, but he he made good progress. And um, at the test he did at Silverstone, the one that got him into the Alpha Terry was by all accounts very impressive. So, yeah, it's, we all want to see him back. But we all want to see the proper Daniel back. And um, I think we got glimpses of it. And he put the thing P4 on the grid in Mexico, which was impressive. Um, but by the same token, Yuki wasn't doing a serious lap that day. He had a power unit penalty, so it was just his only role really was to to tow Daniel to get through Q1 and Q2. So we didn't have a direct comparison there when the car was working really well. But yeah, I think we've seen something and um that, that we, we should be looking forward to seeing how he performs uh, in the new in the new year. And Alex, in terms of the last thing on Alpha Tori, that at the end of the season there was a bit of a kerfuffle about um how much they were drawing from Red Bull in terms of the final upgrade. And they had that lift up the championship um, uh, above uh, Alpha, Romeo and, and Haas. Um, but really, I mean, we've seen it all before. And we? there's nothing, nothing particularly new there with this, uh, this situation with um, a team owned by, 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 by the same company, two teams owned by the same company. What did you make of that? Was that a problem? Uh, you obviously, it, it generates uh, the, the whole cost cap and, and aerodynamic um, limitation scenario, scenario doesn't really fit with the sister team scenario, does it? it they're, they're kind of uh, mutually incompatible because you've got to consider these teams as lone entities. Um, otherwise, it's very hard to judge them with regards to with regards to those things. So, uh, yeah, I mean. <sighs> How much of a how much of a strategy are you allowed to are you allowed to put in place to uh, you know and even you know considerations in terms of in terms of development borrowed development shared between engine manufacturers and so on and so forth 
driver movements. It's the the whole thing is very wishy washy in terms of um, in terms of who gets to use what. But for me, yeah, I'm interested in the sport. That's down for the accountants to to sort out, and we'll we'll watch them race on track. I care about which one outbreak the other one, uh, and in the end, they have the cars they have. Absolutely. Now, in terms of the um, the last two teams on the grid, Alfa Romeo, Sauber, now bizarrely named Stake F1, um, but Alfa Romeo as it was in 2023, um, and Haas. We had two teams here that every now and again would um, pop into Q3 with their drivers doing doing great efforts in qualifying. Both both then tended to slip back um, in the races. Um, I also wanted to ask you about these two teams in the context of another team coming in, whether they're you know there's like this. 11th team, Andretti Cadillac. Um, really, is there, if a new com- new team comes in, can they expect to do anything more than what Alfa Romeo and Haas are doing? Mark, let's start with you first on this one, because really, you're on a bit of a hiding to nothing, aren't you? Oh, I think um, to, to come in at a good level, um, doing everything on your own, um, other than the, the power unit, I, I think you're, you're going you're gonna to struggle initially. Um, but there's if you're serious about it and you're prepared to invest in it, uh, I, there's no reason why you can't begin to make progress. And it depends how long you want to commit to it. But um, yeah, you're coming in at the, 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 this at a very, very high level. So it, it should be difficult. And um, I don't see that um, there's a, a problem with, with that in itself. And I, I don't think Andretti would be coming in expecting to, to be, you know, being competitive immediately, and uh, if, if they do, it, it wouldn't be realistic. Yeah, what's your what's your view, Alex? I mean, would you welcome Andretti into the team into the sport? I think that having a further team in the sport with, uh, particularly with a, an American flag under the name, would would be would be beneficial to the sport. Actually, I don't see any reason from from the fans' perspective where. A, a competitive team wouldn't add something. Um, I understand the argument from the current teams. And I'm not one of these guys that sits back and just says, "Ah, oh, these guys are, you know, these guys are being greedy. These guys are just trying to make money. These guys just don't want to divide the pie uh, because I can understand not wanting to divide the pie. Um, you know, you are, you're part of a sport that has grown exponentially um, you've you've all taken your capital at risk and you've all uh, played your role in that. So so why should why should those you know it needs to be an acceptable deal uh, to the parties currently involved? I think that's going to be very hard to navigate, frankly. But from a from the perspective of a, a neutral fan who talks about it to people on the television, um, yeah, more the merrier. You know, from from our perspective, watching home, I do mirror though what Mark says, and I've I've found this a couple of times on with new startup teams. There are two rules I've learned when somebody's asked me to be involved with a startup team. Happened to me most recently in LMP1 at Le Mans. The first one is if you've got enough money and time, the the that the pure resources of racing, money and time, um, then eventually you'll be successful but the amount of money and time that you need are normally exponentially more than the entity expects so that will always happen but it tends to happen 
a hell of a lot slower than mm. they think it's going to happen, which I think would be true uh, of an Andretti Cadillac coming in. Yeah. And of course, there is a, another big entity on its way. We've still got a bit of time to wait until Audi joined the grid in 2026. Mark, um, we mentioned Alfa Romeo, now Salva, now Stake F1, whatever they want to call themselves. It's still, it's still Salva to us. Um, what do you make of that team at the moment? Because you know, Audi have recently said they're definitely coming. There's no doubts about that. The, the board are committed to it. But there's this sort of feeling that almost like they're treading water until until that era actually begins. What, what's what's going on there? The structure of the deal is complicating a little bit because Audi are buying into it in stages. So they're still a minority shareholder at the moment. So the majority shareholder is still Finn Rousing. So, um, you know, he's the, the, the business guy that, that, that rescued it from bankruptcy. If it requires new investment to scale up, obviously there's going to be a reluctance from um, the, the minority shareholder who's soon going to be, you know, out of there altogether. He's not going to want to spend his own money on something for the future. So there is a little bit of a mismatch there because ideally, if Audi's coming in 2026, it needs to be making the big investments now to get, you know, to to, to recruit and to get the the facilities to where they need them to be. But that's um it, it's it's a good it, it's a it's a good solid competent Formula One team. It's got fantastic wind tunnel. Um, it's got some good people there. There's nothing w- wrong with it in its foundation, um, and it's really it's a really solid platform on which to build a you know manufacturer's um, F1 program. But it's yeah, in this transition period, it's it's a, it's a slightly awkward place. So um, yeah, we the, the outcome is as have we've seen. You know, it's a penultimate place on the grid. It's not that far you know, between. The front of the grid and the back of the grid is an average over the season is one point three seconds. So yeah. you know you're not you're not a million miles away, even at the back. And there'll be, you know, if you look at a GPS trace of uh an Alfa Romeo qualified by Valtteri Bottas and a, a Red Bull qualified by Max Verstappen, you'll see you know, on certain corners Valtteri's quicker there and he's quicker. So you that's that's the level that you're at, and that's why it'll be very, very difficult for it for any new team coming in. But I think um yeah, in this sort of two-year period before it's Audi, but after it's Alfa Romeo, it's 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 uh, yeah, it's it's a little bit awkward, really. Yeah, it's a good point, and margins are so fine. Alex, in terms of Valtteri Bottas, I'd like to ask you about directly about him. He's at an interesting stage of his career. He's he's come out of the big the big championship-winning team. Um, it, it seems like he's you know he's on a. a um, the downslope of his Formula One career, but um, do you think he's he can realistically expect to hang in there long enough to to be around and to lead the team when Audi come in? I'm not sure from his perspective he had a lot of option, honestly, <laughs> other than other than to take other than to take what what was offered to him. I mean, the drivers in that team are in exactly the same position as the team are. They're they're waiting around and kind of treading water um, for. Uh, for hopefully that investment, the, the biggest concern that I would have uh, as as Valtteri is what is even if I do make it, even if I do make it all the way until that investment comes, if it comes, when it comes, we're we're you know assuming that they that they that they go for it. What's going to be the degradation of the team and my reputation in the interim? without the investment to 
to to be effective at the front of the field. And even if I do make it to 2026, will they look at me as their current driver who to the eye of any um to the eye of any ownership structure has been effectively underperforming for years and replaced me there and then? Who are the incumbent, you know, favorites for for Audi? Um and will they are will they want somebody else entirely um behind the wheel of the car? So the short answer to your question is I don't think either of those drivers can rely on being a making it that far or b re- being retained if they do, which I think will be the more difficult challenge, frankly. Mm. Yeah, it could be interesting. It could be a real opportunity for someone else uh, at, when when the Audi era starts. I, I always have this feeling that Audi will want a, a clean slate when they do finally come in, uh, which may not play too well for Bottas, but. What a great character he is on the grid, particularly these days. He seems to be free from, um, uh, you know, the, the shackles of being a, a number two at Mercedes to Lewis Hamilton, which is how he was perceived, whether that's fair or not. And he, he you know, he sound, he's found his voice in terms of uh, the stuff he gets up to on social media. Um, he seems to be enjoying life, doesn't he, Alex? Yeah, I mean, I think he does. Um, the calendar, the calendars are hilarious, aren't they? The general postings are, are hilarious. Um, you know, it, it'll still be hurting though that they're a little bit anonymous weekend after weekend. It's hard to really find that team. Also, really misses a voice in the in the paddock. A lot of the the kind of the key engineering personnel are a little bit media shy. There's no, you know, there's no Fred Vasseur, Toto Wolf, voice, vocal front character of the team, which means that, um, which means that they kind of get lost in terms of their message a little bit as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, Valtteri's having fun. He's picking up a not inconsequential check, I would imagine as well, which doesn't hurt. Um, but he he will be thinking about better days when he had the opportunity to win Grand Prix for sure. Yeah. Now, we're in the final minutes of uh, our two-part motorsport season review podcast. Um, I just want to touch briefly with both of you uh, on politics, which has been, this year, it's been fairly stable, actually. We haven't had too much bubbling up and causing too much controversy, but there's a a lot of tension on a number of different levels we've seen um, between the FIA and Formula One, and, and obviously the promoter Liberty Media. Um, Mark, is this something we should be worried about, this uh, this situation? Probably not long-term, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, these things always tend to get settled after a, um, a, a few blows are exchanged, and we're coming up to the negotiation for the 2026 Concord Agreement, which is when all the, the way that the money is split and the way the sport is run is, is all, the you know, down, put down and uh, signed up to. So... There's an element. There's an element of that. The last time it happened was when Liberty bought the sport, and during that time, the FIA um, got a chunk lot more, lot more money from F1, um, but lost some, um, a, a little bit of a control. And the current president is unhappy with both the level of control and the um, and the money. So, I, th- I think there's probably a bit of horse trading going on, um, and and that's why there's the occasional hand grenade gets dropped and I think that's you have to see through the various news stories through that 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 prism it's it, it, it there is an element of um negotiation to it and Alex do you like what you see in Grand Prix racing at the moment is is Formula One in a in a, in a good place 
I think Formula One's in a great place. Uh, I I love the way that the sport is reaching a new audience. Um, I, I think that it's our job as the sport to convert that audience from fans of the show to fans of the sport. And that's what I sort of actively try to do, um, perhaps by chopping it up a little bit and uh, and serving it a bit more slowly. Um, and I think that but the, the sport's got to continue to change and evolve, um, you know, and as always, as it always used to be when these moments slightly, I, I agree, slightly inconsequential moments in many ways, although they seem moments of consequence at the time, um, come out, it, it helps to build noise uh, around around the sport. But fundamentally, I, I think it's a great product on track. Um, I I don't buy into the Verstappen won everything. That's boring. I, I love. I still watch Formula One racing, and even if it wasn't my uh, job to be involved with it and commentate on it from a driver's perspective, I would watch every minute of Formula One racing that occurred uh, in, in a year. And um, it, it's fabulous to see it in such a good place. I'm sure everyone listening to this would probably agree with you on that, Alex. It's, it's, it's no matter how much it infuriates us at times. We can't take our eyes off it, can we? It's just a, a, a great sport. You know, everybody who said everybody who said they would never watch ever a Formula One race again um, after whatever it is that last annoyed them occurred, and then tuned in, and then tuned in the next Friday. Um, that, don't worry, there are a lot of other people doing the same. That's just passion, isn't it? That's just Absolutely. passion for that's just passion for the sport. Sounds like a perfect note to finish on. So Mark Hughes, Alex Brundle, thank you so much for your company. Really enjoyed talking to you today. Um, just let me remind you before we sign off. Um, so the Motorsport uh, Awards, it's that awards time of the year, sponsored by Pocker. You can go online and vote for Driver of the Year, Race of the Year, Team of the Year. There's also um, Photograph of the Year. We didn't discuss that here because it's not great for audio listening, really talking about um, best pictures of the year, but that's all on the website. Please do go online. The deadline is December the 20th, so it's not far off. Um, thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next season. The Motorsports Season Review Awards, in association with Pocker 1-8th Model Kits. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.